Welcome to a special edition podcast here on Sport Calgary about a possible Calgary Winter Olympic bid in 2026. This fall, Calgarians will likely be heading towards a plebiscite to say yay or nay about perhaps this city hosting a second Winter Olympic Games. There are very strong opinions on both sides of this debate, and we want to present both of them. We have invited people from the Yes campaign and the No campaign to come on and have a conversation, present their side. So far, the Yes campaign is the only one to take us up on our offer. Today, we'll talk to Jason Ribeiro from Yes Calgary 2026. We do want to point out, however, there is always an opportunity for people on the No side to have their opinions heard on this topic. Again, Here's our conversation with Jason. Always the best place to start is tell us where you came from. Jason, tell us where the idea or who originated Yes Calgary 2026. So Yes Calgary 2026 really emerged quite organically from a conversation uh, a bunch of folks, friends, colleagues and I were having about the future direction of the city. Uh, And we were watching through the media a very disjointed coverage of council meetings and Uh, A lot of technical and bureaucratic conversation around the bid, but nothing about what this actually means for the future of our city. Uh, And given the fact that we have, you know, community activists in our circle, we have academics, we have uh, people in business uh, that are business owners. We just said, why don't we have this crazy idea and just start this conversation ourselves? Why are we waiting for this inevitable public engagement? So uh, we got together, we started talking, we said, could we do this? And a lot of people said we could volunteer our time. So that's what we've done. We've gone out into the community and started this conversation. And uh, it's really been overwhelming how many people are contributing to the dialogue. Um, And we're excited about what we're hearing on the streets. So are you directly affiliated to the BIDCO or the BID group? Are you directly affiliated to the city? Are you directly affiliated to the IOC? None, none, and none uh, okay. in terms of affiliation. So zero okay. affiliation on all three. It's a citizens volunteer group. It's really grassroots. So uh, as much as I'm here today, I don't really hold the message and I don't communicate out to people what they should be saying. Um, you have all the information that we do. Uh, we rely on the report that was done by CBEC. Mm. Uh, we're one of the sad groups that have to watch council meetings uh, uh, from time to time and really get that information out into into the public discourse. Um, but we're really reliant on uh, what every citizen is reliant on, is that's what information is being disseminated, paying attention to the conversations uh, that are happening globally and making sure that people are informed. Are there casual, indirect com- uh, connections? Or have you had you know, overtures from city councillors? Have you heard from the, the formal group, Mary Moran and her group at all? Is there any kind of connection that way? I have not. Uh, what I can say in distinguishing, I guess, my role from from maybe the more formal arm of this is that uh, when we formed, we hadn't done any of the due diligence to make sure, like, so what organization are we? What do we fall under? Mm. Um, so I think just recently they've uh, put together the, pap- the papers to form a not-for-profit society. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've chosen to not be on the board. I want to really be out in the community. So I leave the kind of formal decisions about that um, to the actual board group uh, for Yes Calgary 2026. I can say that uh, we don't really have any formal affiliations with anyone. I think part of this process is, that's been frustrating is the idea that's been held within council. Uh, and part of the opportunity with the S Calgary 2026 is to take some of that process outside of council hands. Um, so I can at least say from my perspective, I haven't talked to any councillors about uh, this issue other than some very charged uh, Twitter discourse uh, from time to time. But other than that, um, I've been spending my time going to coffee parties with folks, uh, chatting in living rooms and in coffee shops about what this bid might mean. And I think that's where at least my efforts are best spent. So tell me a little bit about then your role. As you mentioned before, there's there is a 
a board or a group, a committee that is being struck that yeah. will lead? Okay. So where do you fit into all of this? Uh, so I fit, I think, is just like a kind of community organizer. Uh, okay. What's been most appealing about this process is going out to talk to ordinary folks and hear what information they're lacking, hear what information they have that they're excited about, uh, talking to families and what this might mean. I think particularly talking to folks that are in my age group. I just turned 29 a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. but this is a decision that's going to impact uh, my generation very, very closely. Um, we're going to be starting to have children. What does this bid might mean, you know, eight years down the line? So uh, my formal role really just involves talking to volunteers, uh, making sure that if we have events, I'm out talking to folks, uh, answering their questions, staying as informed as possible, uh, and then taking up invitations like this to really have thoughtful discussions, given my public policy background and my research focus, see where the dovetails are in, in terms of strategic planning for the city, and uh, hopefully weigh in thoughtfully as much as I can. Okay, I'll bite. So what is your background? So I'm from uh, originally from Stony Creek, Ontario. Mm. Uh, like I said, I'm 29 years old. I actually uh, was quite content living in Ontario at the time, but I had the opportunity to do my PhD at the University of Calgary mm. with a really brilliant professor. Uh, I had uh, kind of had my fill of Ontario for that bit and said, you know, this could be a nice welcome change. Uh, it had only it was it was just a flirtation. I was just supposed to be here for four years. <laughs> I was supposed to come home. Um, as much as I can, but really that kind of flirtation became this really sweet love affair. I've uh, really enjoyed the the three years I've had in this city. Um, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, my partner's moved here to do her PhD. We're really, really invested uh, in this community and and at least my research, which focuses on uh, greater collaboration between the public, private, and nonprofit sectors as we deal with really complex challenges that bleed across all three. Uh, it's not something that directly is affected by the Olympic bid, but it's certainly something I think should we win that we need to be quite thoughtful about. How do we get everyone on board? How do we have a greater collective impact together versus kind of doing all of our own things in silos? So uh, there's definitely a path for my research, but mostly it's just because I think that uh, I, I stay greatly you know put in, putting an ear to the street to what the concerns are of people and what responsibility I have as a young person to be able to contribute to that dialogue from a policy perspective so this is just the, the kind of perfect avenue to weigh in what an interesting hook because it isn't historical for you it's more professional this is what you do for a living this is a real uh, chemistry set I would suppose in in real world terms way to make me sound very nerdy um, <laughs> yeah no no it, it that's absolutely the case it's not about uh, so much so about legacy for me, at least initially. Mm. I think I've been heartened by, you know, talking to people who were here in 88, that uh, learning more about the legacy of the the Frank Kings and the Bob Nivens and, and those folks um, and their spouses who played an incredible role in, in facilitating the 88 games. But more so it's about, you know, not only 2026, but the 30 years after. You know, what kind of life do I want for my children? Um, what is in the best fiscal and social interest for our city? Uh, these are things that we need to weigh in on. And uh, this is a definite opportunity for, I think, not only uh, just every a- average citizen to weigh in on, but people who particularly weren't here in 88. Calgary's changed. Calgary's trending way, way younger. Uh, the amount of people that responded to the, the citizen survey that was released today, uh, a large majority of them were not here in 88. So this is a, a, a truly unique game that leverages, I think, the best of the legacy of 1988, but really forces us to think about what city do we want to be 30 years from now. So as you have these conversations, you know, you're in small groups, you know, one-on-one, what is the role of, of 1988 as you see it? Because for some of us, you know, it's a direct connection. Some of us remember the, you know, the Petro-Canada glasses and jackets and all the things that go and Howdy and Heidi and all of that. What role does, does 88 have? 
By the way, for any listeners, I'm looking for a jacket right quick. Just <laughs> let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll send the transfer right away. Um, no, no, I, I think that's an important point. I think for those who were here in, in the role of legacy, hmm. uh, it's particularly you know, what we want to build again for uh, the next 30 years. So the best of the legacy for me is, is, is less about the, the kind of story in the jackets, even though that's, that's really nostalgic and, and yeah. fun to, to talk about. But it really is the fact that we are a test case of strategic planning, of thoughtfulness, of innovation, of really great intellectual capital, and a culture around sport that is really, really transformative in this city. Um, I've talked to folks um, that were involved in 88, and I've also talked to folks that were involved in other games uh, throughout this process, mm-hmm. um, and namely reporters that have covered a number of games. And what I keep coming back to is the idea that Calgary has done something no other city has been able to do with an Olympic Games. They've been able to keep and maintain a legacy that has benefited its citizens, uh, a legacy so, so rich, so well thought out and planned that it even will play a role in a 2026 games should we pursue a bid. Uh, a large majority of our facilities are ready to go for 2026 without any mu- much of any adjustments. Um, so legacy really talks about, I think, not just the idea of sport, but the idea of policy for me as well. The idea that you can have a lasting impact on your community, uh, the idea that people can give of themselves in terms of a volunteerism spirit. There's a lot from 88 that I draw as a positive. Uh, the context has just changed. The challenges have just changed. Um, so I think that we can enable something that's in our DNA, which is that community spirit, that thoughtfulness. Mm. Um, but just the pieces might change. And I think that we can foster that dialogue quite productively here, given that we have all the intellectual capital, we have the physical capital, of infrastructure as well. Uh, it just seems like a perfect time to explore uh, re-upping this, this kind of legacy that we have embedded in our community. So when you're talking to somebody and they say, ah, but we did it, right? You, you're living in 88. That was great. Times have changed. There is to me, at least on the surface, it, it appears that it could be a bit of an anchor that if we keep you know, reminiscing, if we keep connecting to 88 and say, well, that worked, that's by no means a gauge that this would work, right? Sure. And I think that what we have to be thoughtful about, I, th- I think this is broader than the Olympics. I think that we can get very caught up in nostalgia, mm-hmm. you know, positively or negatively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen that with a lot of the political discourse around the world where people are hearkening back to a time, but it's usually with rose colored glasses. Right. Uh, it's not really actually what happened. So I think that we need to be able to learn from the past and we need to be able to separate from the past when appropriate. So for those who say, yeah, we did it. Well, you did it and you reaped the benefit uh, for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you have a, a new group, uh, including some of your own demographic, that say, well, what about our next 30 years? What does that mean for us? We have an opportunity to, to, to do so. It's not like this is completely out of the wheelhouse. Quite silently, we've been hosting major national and international events under everyone's noses each and every year. Mm-hmm. Nine and 10 World Cups a year that are hosted at our Olympic facilities. When I talk to people from around the world, they say, you know, this is unheard of. We can't imagine a place, in, particularly in winter sports, that is able to continuously churn out these events one after the other, speed skating, mm-hmm. snowboarding, et cetera. Um, that matters. That matters as we go forward. So as, as maybe the players change, as maybe we see this demographic change, uh, yes, it was done, uh, and it was done really well. Uh, but we have new priorities that exist, and we need to look at this as a new opportunity. And if those priorities dovetail with our own, I don't see the harm in exploring that conversation. And that's why I'm so proud to be on the yes side of these things, because we're not fixed in any one position. The details are going to change. I'm not yes at any cost. There are certain ways I can get to know for sure. Uh, And I think that's the separating difference between the no side, which a large part of the no side says, no, 
I am fixed in no. There's nothing you could tell me that would make me a yes. And I think that that's a little bit short-sighted as we consider building out the next 30 years of our city. So is the only thing that, you know, could change your mind, would that be the financial risk? Would that be the dollars and cents? Or is there anything? Because that's the big one. We'll talk about it. Sure. But is there something else beyond the finances that could turn you to, to a no vote? Uh, we. I need to be responsive to, to things that change. I don't know that there's anything that comes to mind. Certainly, Are you okay with the IOC? And, I, I, and getting into bed with the IOC on a project like this? So let's, let's tackle that right now. Sure. Um, in relation to the IOC, uh, I have some issues. I think a lot of people have issues. Um, but I also listen to what they say. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, I listen to not only what they say, I listen to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So they've said very early on in this process, we have a problem here. Uh, we are not attracting cities to bid on this Olympic Games. The last hosts that we've chosen have not been better off as a city uh, um, uh, post-fact, and and that's problematic to us. They've recognized that problem. So that's enough. That's fine. Uh, but what are you going to do about it? So they've implemented a very, very comprehensive governance reform uh, and released a new norms agenda that they've hoped to implement by 2020 that actually changes the candidature process, that actually focuses on how can we ensure that hosting an Olympic Games contributes to active city building, that leaves cities better off than they were, uh, and doesn't present the number of risks that have uh, come up for uh, other host cases. Um, So I think that's interesting. They've released those documents. And as part of it, they've said, here are some of the things that we're trying to do. We're going to host, we're going to post the host contract in advance, and it's going to be the same as when it's officially released. Mm. They did that. It's actually what they've said. Um, we're going to actually put some skin in the game, some financial contributions we've never offered before. They said that, but then they did it. So we have $1.2 billion Canadian, approximately half of which we think is going to be in cash and in-kind services. Mm-hmm. Um, usually they did not engage with the public of each host city. They had a representative come down and talk to us, and not only you know behind closed doors, it was a public event, it was streamed on CBC, went to all the morning shows and answered every single question. Um, these are steps that I think we need to take uh, into consideration when we frame the IOC. They've changed comprehensively some of their processes, and they've right. acted on some of those changes. So in terms of what I'm seeing from the IOC, I think is very promising. Um, we're, we're, we're not naive. I think that if we were to get into bed with any partner, and again, this does not just speak for our civic governance. This means for our private businesses and Absolutely. entities. You know, we're an energy town. Like, this is not the first time we're, we're considering getting involved with someone where we're uncomfortable with certain norms. But let's be clear. If a Canadian Games were hosted on Canadian soil, particularly in Calgary, it would be on our terms. It would be at the highest standard of ethics, uh, and it would be reinforcing the democratic principles that Calgary and the, the, the country of Canada are well known for. So I'm, I'm in a comfortable place given what I've seen from the IOC. To this point, there are some who would suggest that the IOC has done this on appearances and is a calculated move. If a bid was successful or as exploring the bid, would you still like to see wiggle room from the IOC? Do the IOC still need to prove to you that they're willing to negotiate, that they're just not bringing... 20, agenda 2020 and, and, you know, it is what it is? Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, there's certainly more that I could see. What, what I'll start off on a baseline of seeing I want to see Agenda 2020 reforms implemented, and I'm going to be there with a checklist. Yep. And so far, they've they've checked those boxes. Okay. So that's that establishes some good faith for me. I'm not naive. Uh, I'm going to still be there with my checklist, and I want to see them do and implement what they say they're going to do. They've changed the candidature process to result in about $500 million worth of savings. I'm going to be there with an abacus <laughs> trying to see to make sure that we've saved that amount of money based on other bids. Right. Um, so I think that's the certainly 
that kind of stuff. The, the pomp and frill, I think, is something that I'm uncomfortable with, and I think they know that they need to change from past games. So uh, that's something that I, I want to see as well. So certainly there are things that could give me pause. Uh, but on the major, major structural issues around a bid in the candidature process, they've maintained their word. So when people fall short of their word, I'll call them out. When people keep their word, I'll call them out too. Let's double back to where we started sure. down this path, which is risk. Yeah. And and I, I find it difficult to believe that there's any bigger risk than the financial risk to you know, to the municipality, the province, and the and the city. But let's deal with the, the, the civic risk in all of this. How great is it? So as of right now, going off of what we do know from CBEC's work and the speculation about that, um, let's parse this out. The city of Calgary will be the smallest share of the financial risk. We might even be smaller in terms of costs than the IOC is providing. So if you actually took in what, what the IOC is going to provide in cash, mm-hmm. we're probably going to come in even lower than that. Mm-hmm. So in reality, when you think about what might come back in terms of the bids, say we take hosting the actual games, which I think is a privilege, and honor, something that contributes to community building and nation building, um, I think something that could showcase Canada's principles, and, and, and especially in a complex changing world uh, around positivity quite clearly, say we put that to the side and we actually look at what we're going to get back. Uh, so we've heard some things that are bandied about, maybe an Olympic village that gets a uh, uh, converted into affordable housing, mm-hmm. something that the city has established as a long-term priority at the beginning of the summer. They've said, we're waiting for the province and the federal government to kick in. They're part of the, the building of these, these units. They haven't come in yet. But the city has the plan, and that this would definitely fit in with that. Uh, we've talked about potentially a field house. I'm not sure where we might end up on that, but let's, let's see that. Well, that's something that we need. Well, how much would it cost if we were to build that field house on our own? Let's put it that way. Couple three hundred, four hundred million, maybe I don't know. Uh, what in our sort of in the actual financial parts of the deal, if we were to get say the housing, the endowment for the running of the Olympic facilities, which is and and the field house or and mm-hmm. something else for the fraction of that cost that it would take to pay on our own, then puts a different perspective on risk, doesn't it? So uh, I I tend to look at this with the principles that Seebeck outlined, and the the two are. Uh, that I think are hugely important is, one, we don't pay for our own security cost. Mm-hmm. It's not something that the civic government is positioned to do. It should be something that the federal government covers, as they do for other events. I think if we hit that, it measures, uh, it kind of uh, assuages some of that risk. And the second thing is that we're not going alone. The moment that if the, the province and the Fed were to not come in, which I think they will come in, uh, but if were they not to, I'm out. Very easy way for me to get to know. But should all three orders of government kick in, and Calgary is the smallest piece it remain, it actually, you could draw a through line to say we get all of the tangible benefit for the least amount of cost to build things that it would take more of our money to build if it didn't come prize uh, or didn't come through an Olympic envelope. Mm-hmm. So I tend to look at risk that way. Um, we'll have to see when the numbers actually get released, where the pressure points are, where those other, other greater risks of concern are. But now that we're speculating, I tend to use these simple rules to kind of guide this process rather than have rampant speculation go on. So, and again, this is all speculative, but for you, I mean, for myself as a, as a taxpayer, you know, there is an interest. I already feel like I'm, I'm set upon by the city, as every taxpayer does, but it pisses me off. I can't go to my dump on the weekend but that's neither here nor there um <laughs> do you do you need are, are you in that category that i want to know what it's going to do to my bottom line every month every year or could the city sell you on those facilities you talked about because they're hand in hand sure. right? I, I might be paying 20 dollars more a month or whatever it is but i'm 
going to end up with a field house. So I'm going to end up with X and X and X. What do you need? So uh, again, here's a point where we can point to legacy, right? So right. we look at the Olympic facilities that exist right now. Um, we look at not only the revenue that they generate in terms of tourism when we host one of these nine World Cups that are fully attended, uh, and the generation but of tax. But you understand those World Cups you talk about are not really big events in the grand scheme of things. We're not talking about World Junior Tournaments or things like that uh, that are 15,000, not diminishing them. Sure. But, but I think we can get caught up in you know, that number. What would that be in terms of tourism impact? Uh, they've done studies on this, so okay. you could you could actually point to them, and I'm happy to send them to you. Uh, we're talking tens of million millions My of dollars. My assumption is they're on your website. Right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. But I'm okay. I'm going to make sure that they are if okay. they aren't. But we're talking about you know ten million, fifteen million significant impact. Significant impact. Yeah. Okay. If you look at uh, what Windsport on an annual basis injects into the economy, uh, Calgary Economic Development did a study. We're talking about a hundred million dollars annually mm-hmm. that they inject into. So um, when we talk about taxes, certainly. I recognize that we have some of the lowest property taxes in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that we're—I I would not like to see that change. Uh, I'm in your boat. But I'm also cognizant of the idea of what responsibility do we hold collectively. Right. And and maybe my personal bottom line is not my collective bottom line. And maybe that changes if I have a family as well. Uh, do We, have we've for a certain period of time, did not build out recreation facilities like we should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has cost us later on— much more money to fill in the gaps, particularly when we didn't thoughtfully engage city building around transit, around the developments of particular communities. We had to wedge them in in a way that wasn't really optimized from a systems perspective. So we have the potential to actively think about, can we spend some money here to save us money later on, rather than try and fill in the gaps in a mishmash system that doesn't really help us or mm-hmm. serve us better? So of course, I'm concerned about taxes. But at the same time, I recognize the fact that, and they've done polling on this, people don't want their taxes to change, but they want more services. That's the dichotomy of, 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 of being a taxpayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and no greater example should assuage people concern than those Olympic facilities, because those Olympic facilities, despite what people might think, are not funded by Calgary taxpayers. Those Olympic facilities over 30 years have cost Calgary taxpayers in that arrangement, 5%. So you're talking about the the facilities that we inherited from 1988. Correct. That's what you're talking about. 95% of those costs are shared amongst the province and the entire country. 5% of those operational costs over 30 years mm-hmm. go to Calgary taxpayers. Now, I don't know what the endowment funding scheme will actually look like for the operation of the existing facilities, should that be renewed. And we talk about not only building a couple more facilities as part of this bid, but also support of the exist- supporting the existing yeah. facilities. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what that looks like. But I do know that we have an exact example of if you are concerned about your taxes going up, but you want more services to be able to take your kids on the weekend, you want to enjoy a particular game or an event, etc., no greater example exists than the 88 games mm-hmm. because that's what's that's the, the the prime example of it. So I would like to pursue an arrangement uh, that mirrors those same principles. Maybe it's not 5%. Maybe we have to have more skin in the game uh, mm-hmm. to be able to appreciate what we're contributing to our community. Um, but certainly there's a primary example of where our tax dollars could be well spent uh, in this endeavor and not just have it be an additional thing that we need to be considered in terms of our bottom line. So I vote in the plebiscite, I say yes, we're all in, and then in 2024, all of a sudden, the cost of aluminum goes up and, you know, now copper's expensive and the overruns begin to come in. Now, you know, what I thought I was told in 2018-19 is now not going to happen. Who's protecting me from that? Well, who's protecting you from that in anything that we build in this city? That's, that's the, the primary thing of, that we need to consider. When we're building the Green Line, 
Do we have to be considerate of those kinds of fluctuations in the market? Sure. But do we stop building out our city because of these kinds of market fluctuations? Yeah, but I need need transportation. I don't know if I need an Olympics, right? To the point that we said that depending on if your kids play soccer, you might need a field house. If you're someone who struggles with an addiction and is looking for an affordable home to be able to live in, you might need that. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to be able to, it's important to, to look at this bit outside of our own direct needs. Uh, part of this um, process has been incredible, is, uh, or the part of this process that's been incredible is the learning process. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be able to understand what everyone's story is in this city and how it contributes to this bid. Um, So I'm a big social policy guy. I've advocated for affordable housing, not just as a social um, investment that we can make, but as an economic one Mm -hmm. as well. People who are out of work can contribute to the economy if they have a safe and affordable place to live. We can get people off of street corners and into jobs um, and help them battle an addiction if they have a place to go. People leaving domestic violence situations, if they have a place to go that's affordable, can solve that. I'm not saying this is a panacea, but we would be potentially getting thousands of units that would not, frankly, be built in Calgary otherwise. So we need to think about whose need is actually being filled. Um, If you're a soccer player and we don't really have a lot of soccer culture and facilities, even though the growing demand Mm -hmm. uh, is reaching new heights, I think this is something that we need to consider. So Uh, Not directly looking at what our concern is around transportation and certain things, but also more broadly, collectively, what is it that we need as a city? Because I'm firmly of the, you know, kind of philosophical and political belief that if you take care of people uh, at the bottom, the most vulnerable, you know, that kind of rising tide lifts all boats. I I, I do want to move on to other subjects other than finances, but I I might ask a a little bit of an unanswerable question, but... In your conversations, how many business owners, local business, I'm not talking about corporations, but I'm one of the feedback, one of the pushbacks I got was, I don't want it because my business is going to be somewhere where the construction is going to take place and that's going to impact me. My business taxes, I, I didn't get anything out of 88. I'm, I'm just curious about what you've heard from the individual business owner, the small business owner. Sure. So there's a lot of small business owners that are actually supportive, that have small firms, mm. professional services, brick and mortar type things. Uh, and the interesting thing about the citizen survey that was released today, I think it exemplifies some of their their basic points around being supportive, which is the fact that despite the fact that the no side wants to characterize the bid as being steam powered by legacy, steam powered by shiny athletes and their medals, um, what is actually powering this bid according to the city is three basic economic principles which are largely responsible for support. The idea that this will be a boon to Calgary's economy, the idea that it will increase tourism, uh, and the third, which is it will be able to, uh, a bid will enable us to showcase our business talents to the world, specifically. So I think if if I'm a business owner, uh, I can feel heartened by the fact that my city will be on a global stage. We have the opportunity to attract foreign investment. We have the opportunity to be able to partner with a lot of other arms of government to be able to draw a specific focus to the economic climate, the diversity, the, the diversification of our economy, the diversity of our workforce, and really shore up some, some of the skills gaps we have by then to be able to make sure that by 2026, this is a place where people want to come and do business. So I think the net macro end, you know, while people might be concerned about construction mm-hmm. on their street corner, I think if we have to look collectively at the city and think outside of ourselves, does Calgary's business environment benefit from an uh, Olympic bid? And I think that the people say yes, and I think yes. Let's transition from the finances, which is, I, I still think is a huge one, into communication. Sure. At some point, Seebeck and everybody prior to the plebiscite in the next couple of months is going to have to make their case. Yep. 
as you've held your conversations, as you have talked about this, what have you learned about making that case? What do people on the fence, what do people on the no side need to want to hear? I think the main thing that uh, we can draw from, and again, I'll, I'll draw back to that citizen survey that was released today, was that at this stage, 59% of respondents said, I feel very informed to moderately informed about the bid. That paints a very different picture of what people are saying, that there's not enough information we haven't been talked about. Now, listen, I'm a researcher. Mm-hmm. I want data. I want to throw everything you've got at me, so I'm never satisfied. I think there's more information that can be done. And there's, frankly, I'm not endorsing every element of this process. I get frustrated sometimes with, with city council and, uh, and our municipal government as well. But at the same token, if people are feeling informed, if we, if we put some stock in this, in this data that was released— I think that what we need to really do is support the bid corporation in doing their work. Uh, Being able to engage people in that information gap that don't know what the people in the 60% seem to know, Mm -hmm. which is here are the basic principles that we outlined we would pursue a bid by. And we're not going to deter from those. Uh, Here are the things from 88 you might not know. Here are the things that people who are trying to muddy the waters within you, and I've been heartened by the fact that people who do this for a living, that cover games, Um, all over the world and have done this historically, have started to call out some of the falsifications on the other side of the fence that have said, you know, as much as the innuendo and and the the allegations may play on Twitter, which can be a cesspool at times, uh, we're not going to let this stand in print media or digital media. We're going to call this out as not true. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think our role, and this is what we're going to be doing actually on September 8th, we're going to be having, similar to what we did at our launch, which was an event at Windsport, we're going to be having events throughout the city. Uh, we're thinking three, maybe four, I'm not quite sure at this point. But on September 8th, we're going to have some events where we're able to have not only uh, Olympic athletes that have participated in the game, amateur athletes that are maybe not only training for 2026, but you know, students at the UFC that I've taught that I know really paint a, a really direct through line to the impact of sport. But also these kind of folks that, that, that live in this space of community building and public policy and maybe even the business community that say, you know what, I'm, I'm all for this. I'm willing to come to an event and talk to folks on the ground. And I think people just want to be heard. As the public engagement has been delayed, there's been almost a glut of this non-engagement that's happening. We've tried to, to fill that void by talking to people who are skeptical, who are supportive, every side of the fence. Uh, and I think just by setting up shop and just saying, come on down and bring your family and talk to us, Having that availability goes wonders to assuaging concerns. And by not overstating the benefits and by not underselling the risks, there are certain risks that I don't want to go near, like the security stuff, uh, but there's also manageable risk, like building out necessary infrastructure that no matter when we choose to build, the example of the copper price thing will, yeah. will be adhered to anyways, yeah. yeah, or will be relevant. See, this this is the part of the conversation that fascinates me the most. And I'm, I guess in a way, I'm buoyed to hear you being positive about it, I would have thought you might come in today and 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 be a little frustrated with the, the kind of the society we live in now. That I guess it was a year and a half ago, 140 character world. It's now 280, but it, it seems that in this era of fake news and and tribalism, that this might be a really interesting test case for moving the greater good forward. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm frustrated. Um, let's let's uh, let's make no mistake about that. But you but you're not shying away no. from the old school. You know, let's get together as a community. It's easier to poke holes, you know, from afar and, and via social media. Yeah, and and I think you've you've nailed that point. You know, for for me, the thing that excites me about is being able to just go on the uh, at a park, go to a coffee shop, and be able to talk to folks. Mm. And I don't think 
with the advent of particular technologies or social networking platforms while they matter, I don't think we've replaced that ability to stand across from someone who particularly in, in most cases has maybe a different opinion than you. Right. And being able to, to foster that discourse really positively and thoughtfully. Um, and that's something I think that requires discipline. I'm proud of the volunteers and the community advocates that uh, I, I work with that are able to keep that discipline and not delve into the kind of uh, politicization and the fake news and the kind of political tactics that I think can somehow color these efforts. Uh, I remain really, really heartened and enthusiastic about the idea that we can have an honest, thoughtful conversation with people if they're willing to listen. And if I can disarm some of the tensions around that by being a little bit humble, by coming and saying, you know what, I'm just going to set up shop in this coffee shop and there's going to be people coming by. Hey, do you know about this Olympic bid? What are your thoughts? Just curious about, about what you might think about this. What impact does this have on your family? I think you, you cannot bottle up in sort of any device the ability to do that, and I'll remain committed to doing that throughout this entire process. Um, my opinion would be, and it's just that opinion. I can't back it up with fact. But <laughs> I, 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 this reminds me of, of you know a baseball manager once told me, you know, we're going to win a third of our games, we're going to lose a third of our games, but what we do with that final third is going to determine what happens to us. How much of the population do you think is up there for grabs? How much of the, you know, as we've been talking about polling, it's, you know, it can go from 52 to 59 percent, but how much how much undecided is out there? So today it was released that 53 percent support and 34 percent oppose. The media didn't print the opposition numbers, so people think that it's only 53 and 47, but it's actually 53 support and 34 oppose. I think that's our floor. I think that as more information uh, gets released, I think as, as we engage more people in this conversation, that number is going to go up. Now, you mentioned a little bit about my background uh, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. At 29 years old, I feel a responsibility to be able to engage uh, our young people in this. And this is not just about the Olympics. This is about civic issues broadly, uh, about uh, having a greater stake uh, in community issues and being able to remove some of the barriers that prohibit some yeah. young people from engaging in that conversation. Certainly, this is the kind of you know, in the last couple of years have been the only kind of city-facing things that I've done. Uh, I largely was a cynic for a number of years. I decided to stay mm -hmm. and, and you know, watch a basketball game versus paying attention to what the, the news was uh, banding about about a particular social issue. Um, so what, what barriers did I uh, encounter that I can then remove? So part of that effort is really going out to student groups. Um, who will be affected by this in 2026, who already have a culture around sport, given that the fact that not only are they more likely to participate at their age, but also they're uh, invested in the uh, teams that uh, their representative post-secondary institutions are involved with. How can we make sure that they're engaged in this? In this? And I, I think that responsibly falls on my shoulder. So as that last third approaches, uh, that's certainly a, a specific focus of mine that I want to focus on uh, in going forward. In terms of the focus of your group, Yes Calgary 2026, yeah. how do you view things like, you You brought up the field house. I mean, number one non-funded priority, and I, I just throw this out there, there's four up in the provincial capital, right. zero here. Yeah. Um, this arena, as we know, there's you know ongoing conversations about that. How much of, of this conversation about you know the Olympics is about other things that are kind of on the priority list or being discussed in this city? I think they go hand in hand. I think you can't have an Olympic discussion without a conversation about, you know, what is thoughtful recreation planning in this city and where mm -hmm. are we lacking? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that the arena is quite a contentious issue because it's not just a city project. Yep. There, there, there's a there's a private uh, entity involved there as well. Um, 
I don't want to revisit last year's negotiations, but I think that, you know, that's that having a hockey arena, an NHL arena, uh, and an event center is really, really important to the future development of this city. Uh, so I want to see a fair deal that is representative of, you know, some taxpayer contribution that elicits public benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that that's something that we need to get on the priority list. I'm not... I'm not convinced that we need to crowbar that into an Olympic bid. Uh, I think that we have to thoughtfully think about the next 30 years, what is feasible in terms of costs um, and what is politically salvageable, given that there's moving pieces over there on the private side. Um, But you made a a really, really important point about Edmonton versus us. Mm -hmm. I think the the Fieldhouse is a perfect example of that. This is something that we really need to thoughtfully consider. Uh, It has kind of been on the the periphery of thought for a while, but this is something that we need to consider. And I think that that, a project of that magnitude, uh, given the fact that we're talking about infrastructure as part of the games, uh, needs to be on the priority list. And also, we need to think about not just this in terms of winter sport. What are the kinds of facilities that elicit a benefit for the winter games, but also for summer sports as well? Right. Uh, and I think if we can thoughtfully accomplish some of that within this Olympic bid that benefits both, that is a primary example of where this is not just about the Olympic Games. This is about city building uh, writ large in the in the community. Is your uh, you know Winter Olympics in 2026 include you know ski jumping in Whistler? you know, men's hockey, women's hockey in Edmonton? Is that, is that any of that? Maybe not even your opinion, but what do you hear from people? Is that at all a non-starter? I want uh, the big ticket items to be in Calgary. Yeah. I think that that's not unreasonable to think about. And then it just turned, the rest of the steps have to do with feasibility. So mm-hmm. I don't have any say uh, in what the bid book actually looks like. I can advocate for certain priorities for the city. Um, the Whistler ski jumping thing is an interesting thing. So we don't have facilities that meet the mark for 2026. No, we'd be we'd, jumping across the highway. Correct. And, and while that would be fun to watch, <laughs> yes, um, it would be. Uh, I don't think we can get away with that. So uh, we need to think about, do we want that built here or would we be content with that one event going to Whistler? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's think about the cost. We'd have to in one sense, put aside the cost that would need to be taken to build that in Calgary all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we could supplement that cost by um, putting that pool of money into the additional minor security costs that would be related to moving that to Whistler. Right. Uh, I'll leave that to them to decide. But if that's feasible, that seems like a pretty reasonable kind of concession, uh, especially because those aren't the facilities that are going to be most often used to begin with. So not only am I looking at 2026, but I'm looking at the 30 years beyond that. Could we... Could we live without the ski jumps uh, here and operational? We have for some period of time. Uh, I don't see that as as a big ticket priority. Now, men's hockey, women's hockey, um, skating, I think those are big ticket items. And those are things that I think are a tangible benefit. Uh, I don't know the specifics of how that would work if it were in Edmonton. Uh, So let's exist with the idea that we advocate for those big ticket items in Calgary. The IOC has said the Saddle Dome is fine for all of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Paralympic Games will be after that, so there's no sort of conflict there. So I don't see any real pressing reason to be able to advocate for that, but uh, I'm going to be firmly planted in the idea, let us fight for as many big ticket items here in Calgary as we possibly can. We're 30 plus minutes into this conversation. That's the first time the Paralympics have come up. That's the thing that we and and also uh, indigenous communities and and the yeah. the impact that they have to be part of this. Uh, they have to, and I think that part of the the interesting part about this is that let's tackle one at a time. So the Paralympic Games really invite a thoughtful conversation around sustainability and accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm honored to be able to be working aside uh, alongside a number of accessibility advocates. 
Uh, Nabil is one of them. He's a fantastic individual that has advocated for a number of great policy changes, particularly around snow clearing recently, um, that the city has listened to. Um, and he feels, and I feel heartened by the fact that he remains convinced that we can do something that creates the most accessible games uh, ever conducted, right. uh, given the fact that we have to have this be part and parcel with the Olympic bids that are happening. So that's amendments to arrivals on the airport for athletes. Those are facility upgrades that need to be considered. Um, so I think that that's achievable, and I think that that needs to be greater in the consciousness. Does that move the needle at all? I mean, it seems to me that, you know, if we get caught up in just talking about an able body Olympics, right. you know, we could be, you know, maybe I don't want it, maybe, but you start to begin to bring the Paralympic component into it, or even the, you know, the indigenous population component, and, and impress upon people yeah. that, you know, it's not just that, don't forget this, too. And, and right. that comes to city building, as far as I'm concerned, and, and, you know, the accessibility of the city beyond, well, again, back to legacy. I'm just wondering if that moves the needle for some people. Um, I- I'm less concerned of whether it moves the needle mm-hmm. and more concerned about the fact that they are equal partners in this. Right. This is a, an equal bid for the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Um, this is something that we need to consider. I, I look at some, uh, you know, to, to move to indigenous populations. I look at the fact that we're in the midst of truth and reconciliation. I look at the fact that we have a flying goose report that outlines the specific areas where the sport and recreation community can do better to advocate for the story of Aboriginal contributions to sport and legacy. Um, What a fascinating opportunity we have, and not in a tokenistic way, in a meaningfully engaged way, where we can have representatives of that community tell the story of sport contributions over time, throughout our time on this land. Um, We would have that opportunity. That would be certainly something that would be incredibly powerful. So I don't I don't tend to look at those things as though they might move the needle and more so in a part, they're equal parts of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need to be having this conversation in which they, you know, hopefully sometimes don't show up 30 minutes into a conversation um, and they're part and parcel of what we're discussing thus far. And we're going to be better at that going forward and really reaching out to those communities as we've done thus far, but certainly can do a better job of making sure that they are right there and allies in this, in this. And that if they do have concerns, we're listening to those concerns intently. Beyond just the games, and we've, we've kind of skirted a little bit, uh, you know, some of the legacy issues. I'm just curious, from your perspective, even what your group talks about, you know, one thing is to bring the games here, but there's a lot that goes along with it. Where do you see some of the opportunities for Calgary? Is it in technology? Is it in, you know, raising our, you know, tech level to be, to meet the needs of broadcasters and, and security in 2026? Where are some of the, I guess, non-sports related benefits going to come from? Yeah, I think about the fact that we're, we're able to look at uh, Vancouver as a great example mm. of this, where I know they had a representative from their um, bid group that was able to talk about how they turned this almost into a kind of a technology showcase mm-hmm. for the city. They were able to to reach for some innovative uh, ideas that might not have been feasible otherwise. I think for us, uh, we have the right person involved um, in terms of Mary Moran and heading the bidco. Uh, no one knows this this city's economy better and where we need to go in terms of our future priorities. Personally, I think that you know we've been slowly diversifying our economy for a long time. It's a, it's a buzzword that's bandied about, but I think there's an opportunity for us to meaningfully talk about what kind of city do we want to be in 2026 and where does that exist? So some of that exists in technology. I think some of that exists also in just better collaboration between, let's say, for example, our post-secondary institutions in our city. Mm-hmm. Potentially, is this an opportunity? I've, ad- I've advocated for this for a long time. Is this an opportunity where, you know, you look at the most successful innovation economies around the world, their universities are largely drivers 
of the civic discourse and discussion around business, around technology, uh, and a number of different issues. Is this one of the partnerships that can emerge um, through the bid um, in relation to the UFC, MRU, SAIT as well? Um, that is something I think is incredibly important, and particularly why I'm pursuing a conversation at each of these post-secondary institutions to make sure that we know what their long-term strategic plans are, where an Olympic bid might focus. So it's, it's more than just the fact that certainly the UFC got housing and certainly the UFC got... Uh, uh, got some of these facilities, but more so, what thoughtful role do our universities and post-secondary institutions want to play in an innovation economy that we're building that leads us towards 2026 and beyond? I think for me, that's the main priority that speaks to the kind of diversification efforts that we're going forward. And of course, that involves some technology to keep up with some of the pace of change that's going to be need to be met by 2026. Jason, let's uh, shift our attention to, to City Council, the city itself. Sure. Your role, I mean, obviously you would want to seek out you know, opportunities to speak and, and be heard. But how do you view, you know, this particular city council's approach? I mean, we went through one potential off-ramp. Looks like we might have another potential off-ramp. Uh, does that frustrate you? Are you okay with the way they're handling this? Um, I'm, let's try and put this as nicely as possible. Sure. I'm, uh, I'm disheartened by some things. I, I think that the frustrations of council or that I have with council are not necessarily unique to this bid. I think that there's a lot of grandstanding that can go on. I think there's a lot of partisan influence that makes me uncomfortable. I think there are calls for transparency uh, that are not necessarily adhered to in a certain councillor's own business in the way that they conduct their offices and the way that they fundraise. So I do find... Transparency is a buzzword, though, right? It, right. It's, it seems it's a dog to me, whistle, I, I think, I, as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I hate to say it's a millennial thing. I don't think that's it, but... Sometimes you don't want to know how the sausage is made. Sometimes you just want to eat the sausage. Sometimes as well, you realize that this is just a proxy for trying to cast things as secretive that are really not. Right. There, there yeah. are reasons for confidentiality that exists around protecting people's identity, uh, whistleblowing, etc. The moment people say people are going behind closed doors and somehow make that seem to be that this is secretive, I, I think is very frustrating. So that's counsel separate from this bid. In relation to this bid, what I want from council is consistency. I think that, you know, as I serve in governments, uh, in student populations, and in the community as well, um, you know, my approach is always around consistency and mm -hmm. making sure that we're adhering to words that we mentioned the, the, the week before. And that's what I haven't seen. People have said, you know, we the, the, the people of Calgary deserve a chance to be able to let their voice be heard. We must have a plebiscite before the, the, the province made that a requisite uh, feature of this bid process. Uh, now that the province has made this a feature of the bid process, they've said, well, we'll need to take this off-ramp the moment it comes up. Well, you've just advocated for letting the people decide. Yeah. Which one is it? So that's been frustrating. The second thing is, uh, and I can't speak for uh, the city manager who commissioned the citizen survey today, but I imagine it was to be able to establish a baseline of where the city is in response to this bid. And if we look at that commission survey and we see that a majority of people support this bid with a 20-point swing favorable, if 60% feel that they're informed about this bid, et cetera, there's enough information for council and the Olympic Committee this week to be able to, and, and going towards uh, September 10th, enough to keep this process going, enough to let Calgary have a voice on November 13th and to let the people vote. So uh, 
Have I been frustrated? Yes. Would I be even more immensely frustrated if they flirt with the idea of taking an off-ramp while most of the people who are advocating for the off-ramp advocated for a plebiscite? Yes. So we need to be really consistent. I think our role as a, as a citizens group is to hold people's feet to the fire, to be able to engage in that positive view so that it makes it maybe a little bit easier for people to go ahead with the process. But the data speaks for itself, and I think that the previous words of some of these councillors speak for themselves as well. Who do you represent? In terms of? Yes, Calgary 2026. You've gone through this process. Who do you represent? Who's out there? Who's who's engaging you? Who, whose voice do you carry? Or, you know, I'm waiting for you to tell me all Calgarians because clearly that's not the case. Sure. But, but who do you represent? I think in the conversations, if I could make a an archetype of, of mm. some of the people that I find gravitated towards our bid. Let's let's get the, the, the obvious ones out of the way. There's certainly people that know the power of sport. And, and the role it plays in a healthy and, and, and safe community for people. The idea that people who have benefited from recreational sports, competitive sports like I have my whole life, were able to apply that discipline, those skills, that safety um, to their endeavors in business or academia or public policy or in, uh, in nonprofit work. So there's certainly a group that understands. They, they, the switch doesn't have to be turned on. Right. But then there are others that say, you know, in complex changing times, where things, like you said earlier, t- seem to be really bogged down in this kind of fake news and this challenging of democratic norms. You know, what wor- what role does positive community building play and what are the avenues for us to channel that sort of concern of ours into fruition? Right. Uh, and, and those are people that are average people that are just saying, hey, I'm, I want to be able to show my children what I benefited from. 30 years ago. Uh, and to have that opportunity is a almost a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And to have that be shared with my child or my grandchild is something that's really important. And then the, the and that, so those are the family groups. But then the third group is largely this, this newer generation of Calgarians that you said, you know, before isn't particularly familiar with the 88 legacy, mm-hmm. but is interested in, they've come here for opportunity. They've come here for Calgary's entrepreneurial spirit. They've come because we're the fourth most livable city in the world because we're the most livable city in North America and say, what contribution can we make to building out the next 30 years? And does an Olympic bid jive with some of those priorities? And we've seen the previous generation when we've heard, we didn't experience it, but we've heard that, you know, a number of people volunteered their time, businesses thrived, positive energy around the community on the world stage. We want to make that mark for ourselves. And for all those complaining about the idea that the next generation, what are we leaving for our children? How could we potentially pursue this cost? The next generation has answered that question and said, no, we're ready. No, we, we understand what this involves. We're taking a holistic approach. Let's have a conversation about what that means. And those are professionals. Those are people that are ambitious trades workers that are ready and chomping at the bit to be one of the 20, 30,000 jobs that are created uh, as part of this, this infrastructure building uh, that goes through an Olympic envelope. So... The idea that we have next generation Calgarians, we have families um, that want to be a part of something positive in a complex and changing world. And the idea that we have those who are res- very, very responsive to the idea that sports could be a powerful, powerful force for community building uh, in Calgary. Uh, those are largely the voices I think that we've, we've come to represent and are honored to represent. My last one for you. Uh, how does someone who's listened to this today on either side or even in the middle engage uh, Yes Calgary 2026? 
So you can follow us on Twitter at YesCalgary2026. You can go to our website at YesCalgary2026.ca. There you'll see some information about us, but also you'll have a chance to to sign up for our emails um, and and join us and become an ambassador. So part of this grassroots effort has really been that no one person holds the message. Hopefully if we do this again sometime as someone else um, who has the ability to talk to their perspectives of why they're supportive of a bid, but we've had about seven, 800 people sign up with our website that are willing to go out and host coffee parties that are willing to go out and research about the information about this bid and be willing to, you know, potentially hand out flyers or sell buttons or that kind of old school politics uh, and community engagement you talked about earlier. So you can do that. Uh, Facebook is Yes Calgary as well. Um, so all of those social media platforms and be sure to stay tuned for details uh, about the citywide events that we're having on September 8th. More details uh, to follow. Um, and also if you uh, are on uh, State campus, MRU campus or UFC, um, I certainly will be a present force, maybe an annoying force, uh, at <laughs> Welcome Week with my Yes Calgary 2026 folks, uh, making sure that you feel engaged in this process as well.